thank you so much, all of you, for being here this morning. I'm excited to be here. Mom tells me when I was born that I did not speak for the first almost two years of my life. I didn't even say mom or dad. I didn't try. I didn't seem to say anything. I would grunt. I would point, and that would be about it. And I did have an older sister who would help uh, uh, translate uh and uh, but I was not a talker until she says I turned two. And then uh, we lived in New Orleans next to some Cajun folks who came over all the time. And the first thing I ever said was a full sentence, not a word. It was uh, mom was covering up my feet and said, oh, let me cover up your feet. Your feet must be cold. And I looked at her and I said, my feet cold. No. (laughs) So, Brent, I started out with an accent, uh, 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 speaking my Cajun. I always liked to speak. I, I hated writing growing up. Writing was always brutally painful for me. Speaking was great. Did you know if you speak and you want to make a point, you can do it. You can pound your fist. You can raise your voice. You can point. You can, you know, nod your head and No, no, no. I mean, I just really, like, you can pause and make a point. And it took me a while before I learned you can do all of that stuff with writing, too. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning, is I want to talk about how you can emphasize things in writing. And we know that in English, writing can be an expressive thing. We can write in expressive ways. We can add what we need to make our writing expressive. Think about all of the ways you can write expressively. You can use bold font or bold print or a thicker marker. You can write in color instead of simply black ink. You can underline what you wrote so people will know it's really important. You can use italics. You can add as many exclamation marks as you want. It's exactly, oh, my daughters, they, they were looking at one of my text messages. And I had evidently texted Becky or something and said, love you, exclamation mark. And Rebecca said, well, she's going to think you're mad at her. And I said, why? Well, you only have one exclamation mark. If it's love you, it needs at least three. (laughs) I didn't know, but... So I changed it. You can use emoticons now to brighten up your message with all sorts of things. You can highlight what it is you want emphasized. So here's the deal. How does that come down in ancient Greek? As they're sitting there working through their manuscripts, they wanted their writing to be just as expressive as we want ours to be. When they're writing, they have points that they want to emphasize, but they had no highlighters. They had no real ability to use boldness in the font. They never changed out their inks for colors that we know of. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yes, in medieval manuscripts, they would take in and flourish a letter or something but not for emphasis. We can't find them underlining for emphasis. They didn't use italics. They didn't have exclamation marks. They didn't even have smiley faces. 
So how would the ancient Greeks, if they wanted to emphasize something, do it? They didn't have punctuation the way we do. And how do you emphasize without punctuation? Which brings us to our first Greek geek cartoon. Hey, geek, without punctuation, how do you tell the difference between a cat and a comma? Greek thinks, hmm, ancient Greek, ancient joke. A cat has paws at the end of its claws. A comma is a pause at the end of a clause. The ancient Greek. Okay, I'll do another one next week. Um, So, I mean, how are they going to do it without punctuation? What do they do? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about how the ancient Greeks used different tools to emphasize a point. So, let me give you three ways that they would show emphasis. These aren't the only three. These are the three most common, certainly in our New Testaments at least. First of all, they would use word order, how they ordered the words. And we do that a little bit. We might lapse into a passive voice to be able to uh, uh, put something in a different order or to hide or a subject or things. But Word order in a way that we really don't. We'll talk about that first in a moment. They had signal words. Words whose real purpose is just to say, pay attention to this. I want you to see this. Which, by the way, our translators really don't translate a lot of times because it's really hard. I mean, when was the last time you were reading your Bible and someone just said, pay attention to this? That's not what the... We'll talk about it. I don't want to get ahead of the list. Then they have what's called double subjects. I don't think we'll get to that this week. I may extend this a little bit next week, and we'll talk about it again with more examples for all of these, but we'll cover double subjects next year, or as Greek scholars might call it, express pronomial subjects. But double subjects works for us. Let's start with word order. Now, in English, word order is not that, Hard of a deal. Whoops, let's take ancient Greek off. Stephen Nolan, can I borrow y'all for a minute? Come on upstage. I don't know how many of y'all know the Nairs. Stephen Nolan Nair, I need y'all up here. Okay, let me tell you what Greek did. Greek has... Um, labels, tags on their words. They're called inflections. You don't need to know inflections. Just think of them as signboards that they carry. Their words carry these. I need someone just to hold hold a word. Richard, you don't mind coming up here. Richard's our verb. Okay, Steve, we're putting you over here. Richard, you're going to hold our verb. And our verb is the action word. Okay, now we are reading left to right. So, Steve... Action verb. Where's a good one? Steve loves Nola. Okay? That's English. And we know Steve. See, Steve is what we call the subject. Steve is the one who does the loving. We have a subject. We have a verb. Nola 
is the direct object. This is the one Steve loves Nola. Subject, verb, direct object. Make sense? We know this. This is English, remember? We may not remember it, but we know it. Okay? Now, in English, we don't need him to hold this. We don't need her to hold this. Because if we're reading it in English, let's go to the Elmo. We can read in English, Steve loves Nola. Right? And we know what that means. Steve is our subject. Love is our verb. And Nola is our direct object. Now, if they're not carrying around signs, we need Steve to be first. If, Nola, can you and Steve swap places? If they swap places and we're reading left to right, now we've got Nola loves Steve. Well, we should probably change verbs. Nola, here's another, smells Steve. Okay, now we've got the subject, we've got the verb, and we've got the direct object. We know what it is because of word order. Nola loves Steve. Subject, verb, direct object. You with me? Everybody's got the English down. Now, Greek, we're... I'm sorry about that. That was Becky's doing. Um, Greek, they each get to carry their sign. So we're going to make you the subject and you the direct object. And Nola, come on down here. You can stand right anywhere you want, Nola. It doesn't matter where you stand in this sentence. Because we know what you are by the label you're carrying. So we know the verb is here. We know Nola's the direct object. We know Steve's the subject. So we could translate, if we're reading in the Greek, loves Nola, Steve. In Greek, we know, oh, he's wearing that label. He's wearing that, carrying that sign. He's the subject. So Steve is the one who does the loving. And Nola's the one who is loved. And we know it because they're carrying the label. We can put them in any order we want. You see? As long as they're carrying their sign, it doesn't matter what order they're in. Um, Nola, would you switch over here? So here, we might read, if we're just reading the words without their signs, we have Nola loves Steve. But once we read the sign, we say, oh wait, she's the direct object. He's the subject. So even in this order, it means Steve loves Nola because they've got their signs. Now, if, if I'm writing this and I really want to emphasize how wonderful and special Nola is, and I'm writing it in Greek, I'm putting her first in the sentence. If I want to emphasize how important this love is, can y'all switch places? I'm going to put the love first in the sentence. 
I'm going to adjust the word order so that the most important, uh, not most important, that's not fair. So that the point of emphasis is at the start. So that, and, and when you're hearing it or when you're reading it, you hear that first word in the clause or that first word in the sentence and you know that's where I'm stomping my foot. That's what I'm underlining. That's what I'm emphasizing. Not always, but but there are times where that's clearly the case in the Greek. You with me? Okay, you guys can go sit down. You guys, give them a hand. Weren't they great? Thanks also to my lovely wife, Becky, who got up extra early and made those signs. Um, yes, thanks, Becky. So, Here's the principle. If we go back to the PowerPoint, ancient Greek used word order to show emphasis, not simply out of grammatical necessity. We live with English. English has lost most of its signs. And the few signs we've still got, most of us quit learning how to use. Who and whom. That M at the end of who, which turns it into whom, is a leftover sign, isn't it? So, we don't use those signs anymore. We have to have word order to help us, but not so the Greeks. So, here's an example. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is something we're all familiar with, by and large, which is why I've chosen it. It's not the best example. Because the Lord's Prayer itself is um, clearly a, a, a translation of a Hebrew prayer. And so you've got the underlying Hebrew behind it. But even still, it's been put into Greeks for Greeks to read. And the word order was not changed in that regard. So if we're reading it in the Greek, we've got pater hemon, hoentois erinois, agias theto, to onomasu. Now, you're saying, I can't follow any of that. That is the expression. It's Greek to me. You're not supposed to have to follow it. But here, I'm putting the English in in the middle. The first word in the Lord's Prayer is Father, not our. It's Father. It's Father. Now, Certainly, and we've got some scholars in here who know their Hebrew and their Greek. Yes, yes, yes. Avenu in the Hebrew is, uh, Avenu Shabashamayim is a standard start of Hebrew prayers, our Father in heaven. But, but it's taken into the Greek and it's written into the Greek where we see that word Father first. The Lord's Prayer does not start with me. It starts with who God is. Father. Of ours. Hamon means of ours. The one that's in the heavens. Holy be or hallowed. Same word. That comes from our Hagia that we were looking at last week. Holy be the name of you. Look at the next word. Come the kingdom of you. Be done the will of you. Now, we lose that in the English because we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, we keep that first, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But in Greek, it's not your kingdom come, it's 
Come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. And each of those action words are put there first because those are the points of emphasis. That prayer is a prayer for God's, for, for the action, for the coming of the kingdom, for the doing of his will, for the holy blessedness of his name. Name being his expression in the earth. So, so it's just an example. Now let me give you a couple more that are, are a little bit fun to look at. And we'll look at more next week. God is, this is 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I love the English Standard Version of the Bible. I think it's a marvelous translation. I've got friends who served on the translation board, and I honor them. They are phenomenal scholars. But I am going to be talking to them or someone. I want another Bible coming out that I'm going to call the Emphasis Bible, where it underlines and bolds the words that are and ideas that are being emphasized in the Greek that we lose. If you look at this, this is, let's go to the, yeah, thank you. If you look at this in the Greek, I mean English, Paul is saying, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ. You know, so you're not lacking in any gift as you wait the revealing of Jesus who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Go back to the PowerPoint for me for a moment. Now, here's what the Greek reads. The Greek of this verse starts out, pistos hotheos. If you remember, pistos last week was another one of our words. Faithful is God. This is, the, the, the Paul's emphasis here is that Faithful is God. You need to know. I need to know. Paul wants us to underscore that word faithful. Faithful is God. That's his emphasis on this sentence. Faithful is God. When your world is crumbling, faithful is God. As David, Pastor David was saying in his sermon this morning, faithful is God. Paul's emphatic on it. Faithful is God. So if I ever get to translate my own Bible, it's going to be God is faithful. Bold print, underscore, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus. If you are here and called into the fellowship of God, or if you're watching this and you're in another church and you're, you are in God's family, if you are in God's fellowship, you've got to know he's faithful. And Paul wants to emphasize that word. I love this other passage in 1 Corinthians where the word order really changes some dynamics. When you're reading 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, let's go to the Elmo and just sort of get the whole feel for it. The, the, the Corinthians had a number of problems. One of their problems was uh, they, they, they were very cliquish. Um, uh, they were very, uh, uh, they, 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 they had their favorites and their groups. And I know that's stunning to you. But they actually talked about which teachers they liked or which teachers they didn't like or which preachers they liked and which preachers they didn't like. And they wanted to sit in their little cliques and in their little groups within those homes where they met. And Paul takes them to task over it and is explaining, 
what, who the teachers really are and what's really going on. And Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are the same. They're one. And each will receive his wages for doing his work. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That's the passage. We are God's fellow workers. Now, my question to you and Think about this. Where do you think Paul's really got his emphasis on this passage? We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Well, if we're looking at the Greek, if we go back to the PowerPoint, please. If we're looking at the Greek, we're going to see this is the first line there in verse 9. Theo is that first word, the O that looks like it's wearing a belt. That's the letter T-H. Th, th. T-H-E-O-U. Theo. Guess what word Theo is? God. You get theology from it. Theism. A-theism. If you don't believe in God. Theo. God. Theodore, by the way, the name, Dore is the Greek word for give or gift. Theodore, Theodore, if that's your name, means gift of God. Theo, God. All right, so here's what Paul says. Paul says, God's, the word for it is just there. God's, we are, sunergoi. We are co-workers. By the way, I rarely say this, but I really like the NIV translation of this better than I do the ESV. It's kind of tricky in the Greek. It might mean that we are co-workers with God, which is where the ESV kind of leads you with it. But I think the NIV may be more correct with the idea that, that we are co-workers, him and Apollos. Paul and Apollos. We are co-workers of God's. You know, but the key is God's. There's no doubt. That's Paul's emphasis. God's co-workers we are. And then look at the next line. Theo. Georgion. What's Theo? Yes. Of God or God's field. Paul's saying, we're the laborers of God, God's laborers. God's field is what you are. And then Theo Oikodome, Esti, God's building, the, 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 what's being constructed, you are. You're the house under construction. But here's the important thing. Don't think I'm important, Paul says. Don't think Apollos is important. And don't think you're important because you follow Paul or you follow Apollos or you follow Peter or you follow whomever you want. No. The important one is God. And it's because we're co-workers for God that we're important. 
It's because you're God's field or you're God's building that you're important. The importance is not centered on us. The importance comes from God. And who we are in relation to him. So, if I mean, if this is the, the one verse we were looking at, the preaching point on this is pretty clean. You and I are important, not because of our education, not because of our status, not because of our money or lack thereof, not because of our poverty, not because of our jobs, not because we're single, married, divorced, widowed, widower, None of that. The reason we're important is because there is a God who is at work in our lives. He loves us enough and cares for us enough that he's building an estate out of us. That's an amazing passage when you see that. Okay, so uh, God's building you are. There, get the estate up there. Okay, now, that's the key. Ancient Greek used word order to show emphasis and not simply out of grammatical necessity. Let me give you a second way that they used um, emphasis, that they showed emphasis in their writing. Signal words. They had words that, uh, that, that were signals. Pay attention. This is important. This is what I want you to see. Now, we have those in English a little bit. That is some in English, of the way this generation, just below you, Miss Lori Stripling, uses the word like. I, have you heard the word like used in the teenage crowd? It's like there all the time. Another one that they use is hashtag. I mean... Dad, hashtag. No, no, I think it went like this. Boy, my nails really look bad. Man, a manicure. Whew, hashtag, need it real bad. <laughs> hashtag, need it real bad. What do you mean? Well, Dad, that's a way of really emphasizing a point. You say hashtag. Right. Or how about this? This is the way we did it in Lubbock. Okay, look it. I want you to see this. And we'd say, look it. And that means, pay attention. Look it. Okay? Or in our prayers, if we want to emphasize something, how many people in their prayers do it like this? God, we just want to thank you. And we put just in there. We just love you. Well, no, we don't just love him. We don't mean that literally, like, we just love you. No more than that. Just love. That's it. We just want to thank you. We're not going to ask for anything. We just want to thank you. No, we don't mean it literally. We're using it as a signal word to say, this is important to us. One of my favorite signal words. If you really want to emphasize a dish in your cooking, how does Emeril Lagasse emphasize a dish when, bam, when he's cooking, bam. Dale, I couldn't get the clip to play. Dale sent me a clip. Great collection of YouTube. Bam, bam, bam. I love that. 
I want to translate some of my Bible passages that way. Bam! So that you pay attention. Bam! And it really works. So in Greek, for example, yeah, I'm putting bam up there. Uh, in, in, oh, Hebrew. I've got, uh, uh, some Hebrew folks here. We've got Jim Hoffmeyer here. Hene in Hebrew. Uh, Shema is used the same way in Hebrew. You know, hear, you know, listen, pay attention. And, uh, um, um, Greek. You've got this word in Greek called idu. And idu is, um, uh, let me get the Greek up there. Idu is, Translated sometimes, see or behold. But what it really means is, especially in Matthew, pay attention to this. Bam! This is important. Bam! And sometimes it gets translated, see. Or, which, which is modern for Lubbock. Look it. Okay? Sometimes it gets translated, see. Sometimes it gets translated behold, but sometimes it doesn't get translated at all because it just doesn't really fit in good with the English. But Matthew uses it all the stinking time. And I want to show you some of these passages where he uses this word. So, for example, Matthew 1.20. Now, some of these at first, you're going to now pick up on it, but when you look at it, you'll understand when you're reading it Oh, yeah, that's an emphasis word. Let's put Matthew 120 up there. This is very early. This is where Joseph's about to find out what to do about his pregnant fiance that he has not had carnal knowledge with. As Joseph considered these things, behold. Now that behold... I mean, who talks that way in English? Becky, I was thinking about the dinner you made last night, and behold, I found it tasty. But the translators, they're struggling. But do you know what that means? Bam! He's considering these things, and... Bam! An angel of the Lord appeared. That's what it means. In a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another one. Where's we'll flip the page? I told you Matthew's loaded with these. 2.13. So Jesus is born. Herod's persecuting. They've got to figure out what to do. And so as they're figuring it out, they've got to head out and not go to their own country. Look at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the... No, not... but Come on. Bam! When they had departed, bam! An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Said, rise, take up the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you otherwise. Herod's out to kill kids. He wants to destroy this child. And it's really good, right? Look at Matthew 7, 4. I love this one. Let's start with 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, those of you who are good at find a word are looking for behold. Did Lanier miscite the scripture? Did he find the wrong one? Behold's not in there. They don't translate it this time. It doesn't really fit in the flow to throw behold or look it or see in there. This is one that needs Emerald Lagasse. This needs the BAM. I'm going to put the idu in there. And you'll see the emphasis that Jesus is making. Are you ready? It's here. It's in verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when bam, you got a log sticking out of yours. That's, that's where it is. When bam, right there, bam. Whoops. You got a log sticking out of yours. You hypocrite. Get that log out of your own eye, and then maybe you can see to get the sawdust out of your brother's. You, you, you following this? Can we go back to the PowerPoint? This uh, inspired me to add, yes, a second cartoon for the week. Hey, geek, I was watching Emerald Lagasse cook on TV. It cracks me up when he says, bam. Hmm. I was reading Matthew in Greek. It cracks me up when he says, he do. Okay, anyway. Uh, okay, uh, let's throw in another one. We got a little bit more time. I love this. This is the last passage in Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 20. The final words that Jesus recorded, or that are recorded of Jesus in this gospel. Jesus says, we'll pick up in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, maybe bam doesn't need to be there because that sounds a little sacrilegious in that context. Not really, though. I mean, just that behold, pay attention. Emphasis. Look it. Bam. Behold. Matthew doesn't fade off into the sunset as a gospel. He draws emphasis to the very last sentence and says this last sentence is extremely important. Please pay attention to this. I, and actually we'll talk next week about how Jesus, this repeats the I. It's, it's in there twice in the Greek. We just lose it. It's that double subject. I, yes, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a, I mean, that's, that needs to, Jesus is saying, Matthew saying, underline the rest of this. 
That might be another good way to translate edu. Underline what's following. What's following needs to be underlined in your Bible. It needs to be underlined in your life. That Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. I was thinking about this this morning while David was preaching because he was preaching from 2 Timothy. If you weren't in service, he's preaching from 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy, his, his beloved son of the faith, at, at the end of Paul's life. And he's giving Timothy these last words of counsel. And, and, and it was a challenging message and a good message for me to hear. And, and, and I was thinking about it in terms of this. You know, it's so interesting to see how we have last words. Um, Lynn and Jim and I were talking the other day about uh, some of the difficulties of, of trying to figure out uh, uh, death. And how important it is as believers that we live constantly ready, especially the way I drive. And, 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 and there's an element there of wanting to, to, I mean, we are all from being dead. And it's something we all have in common. I promise you, unless Jesus returns, everyone in here, we're going to die. But regardless of what we're going through, those last words are huge that we want to say or that we want to do. And I love the fact that Matthew closes his gospel with this and says, underline it. Behold, Jesus is with me. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter how I feel about him. Doesn't matter how, uh, whether I'm hot or cold. Oh, he may throw me out of his mouth, but he's still with me. And I just find that reassuring and that emphasis is great. Now, we'll continue this next week because we've got a lot more emphasis to talk about. Um, but here's our Greek for home. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when bam, there's a log in your own eye. Okay, this is huge to me. Let me tell you why. I have a job of criticism. What I do for a living, I was in Seattle, Washington on Thursday criticizing this poor witness to death. Don't get me wrong. He had it coming. <laughs> but I mean, it's what I do. And I have to listen for the nuance when he changed the verb tense. Because he didn't want to commit first, you know, whatever is, is, is not simply a trick for politicians. It happens in depositions a lot. And you have to really watch. So I live in a critical, I mean, I live in a job where people come to me and say, this happened. What can I do about it? And I have to sit there and analyze and, 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 and criticism is something that's easy for me. And yet, in these terms, I'm being told by my Lord, hey, that's not your job. My job is not to sit here and figure out Richard's problem or Mark's problem or Jan's problem or anybody's problem. Helen doesn't have problems. I got that, Helen. But that's not my job. 
My job's to figure out where I need to fix myself before the Lord. Or where the Lord needs to fix me may be a better way to say it. So my prayer is, Lord, help me to look to others with a forgiving heart and spirit. I got an email from a friend on this lesson. This lesson goes out right now to about 150 people by email each week. And one of the emails back um, uh, was from a Catholic buddy of mine who was was very frustrated with the I, I evidently I, not with the lesson, but I, I, I poked him on something about a Protestant view of the Lord's Prayer. And it, it was just an old issue with him. And he just went into a, a, a very stringent explanation of where we Protestants have missed the boat on that. And I emailed him back. I said, well, you're kind of in an anti-Protestant mood today, aren't you? And he emailed back and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have so many problems. And the Catholic Church has so many problems. Heaven forbid. I, I love your church. Those are nice people. <laughs> and, I, and I emailed him. I said, oh, I'm saying, look, man, I, I can't go throwing rocks at you. How dare I throw rocks at you? I'm horrible. So I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to look to others with a forgiving heart and spirit. Second, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now you can guess where the emphasis is in this passage for Paul. If we were looking at it in the Greek, it is huge on Jesus. And the entire passage in this Colossians section puts Jesus Emphasis, 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 emphasis. And that's a great place for our emphasis. You can never go wrong emphasizing Jesus. Last, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That really speaks to me. And with gratitude in my heart, I want to walk in faith and his victory. You know why he's with us till the end of the age? Because he won. He conquered sin and he conquered death on our behalf. So he's not only alive and with us, but we're with him to the end of the age. Even when we lose this earthly shell and receive our glorified bodies, we're with him because he won. Can I pray a blessing over you, please? Lord, in the name of the victorious Jesus Christ, by the blood, his victory over sin and death, by the atoning sacrifice that draws us before you in his purity, in his righteousness, in his faithfulness, we humbly say, we love you and we thank you. And Father, it's my blessing on these who hear this message and on my friends and family here that you would please reach out in your spirit, build up the faith that's wandering, mend the hearts that are breaking, guide the minds that are questioning. Give directions to the lives that are adrift. Father, bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.